Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kave. And we're two gastroenterologists. What's a gastroenterologist? You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system. Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now? Your butt, Joe. It's your butt. Oh... And welcome back to the House of Pod. We're here with Dr. Jessie Gold. She is an assistant professor of psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis. She writes about mental health, uh, the stigma around it, and physician wellness. Um, and she's been talking and writing a lot recently about um, the coronavirus and the effects it's been having. So, Dr. Gold, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, recently, the Washington Post put out an article describing the sort of psychological trauma um, of the coronavirus to the country. It reported that in a survey, half of the people in the U.S. felt that the coronavirus was having a pretty significant effect on their mental health, which for me is still kind of shocking that it's only half. I feel like that means, means either the other half isn't paying attention or doesn't understand what's happening yet. But either way, the coronavirus is clearly causing a huge psychological burden uh, on both essential personnel that are out there like doctors, nurses, grocery store workers, and people who are uh, still at home um, under home quarantine. And it's not just the illness, um, it's the social distancing, the fear of the economy, uh, losing jobs, work. There's a lot of there's a lot happening here, sort of a grieving process that I feel like the U.S. is going through. So uh, here is the question that is completely un unanswerable, uh, particularly in a short podcast setting. But what advice do you have for people to help get through this with some semblance of sanity? Yeah, 
And I mean, I think you're right that that number is, does seem small. If you ask your friends and family, they all seem anxious and worried. And I think that's part of it. I think that we're really focused and a lot of my patients have admitted this are really focused on like fixing the immediate thing. So that's like getting food, getting water, figuring out how to function at home, figuring out how to do classes online. And they haven't really like proceeded to like, oh, wait, like I'm super anxious. Oh, I'm super sad. Oh, I'm super depressed. And we often actually don't even have feeling words, like even very intelligent people don't know words for feelings. Like if you ask people how they're doing, they're like, I'm okay, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Those aren't actually feelings, like sad's a feeling. So when you go and then survey them, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that people are not yet identifying that to be a mental health issue, let alone like the stigma around mental health. So what can you do? I think the first thing is actually admit you have a mental health stressor. Does it necessarily mean you have a mental health problem? We are all anxious and we are all scared and some of us are sad and some of us are angry and all of these feelings need to be said and have the space to be said or we're all just going to like stir under the pot with all of them. You mean I'm annoyed that I'm standing in line at the grocery store for an hour is not a feeling? No. Um, I mean, you can you're be right. annoyed. I had a patient where I literally <laughs> be like, how are you feeling? She'd be like, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. And I'm like, there's got, are you really annoyed more. today? You know, I was like, there's got to be something else there. Right. You know, it is a feeling, but there's so much more to that feeling. Like, are you mad? Are you yeah. sad? Like what's going on there? And I think right. we don't talk about it and we're not used to talking about it and giving ourselves the space to talk about it is critical. Yeah. What you're saying um I think is that we have to learn the vocabulary first to even uh, address what we're feeling. And we, we're, not, we're not used to using that vocabulary in common parlance. You're exactly right. No matter what people say, whenever people ask you, you always say, okay. And that's really not the truth these days, maybe ever, but particularly not these days. And the first step, it sounds like, is being able to admit that and then articulate it. And what you're saying also, I mean, I've noticed in myself, like total focusing on small things to feel like you're in control because you're not having your routine. So I am totally, like you're saying, constantly taking inventory of food and thinking about when is the one day I'm going to do like a huge shop so I don't have to keep going back to the grocery. You know, I am constantly thinking about that stuff. And one of the articles that you co-wrote recently also talked about how doctors in particular, you know, and Kaveh and I are doctors, so we know a little bit even though we're not ICU, we're not ER, we're not kind of on the front lines there. But um, just try to, how do we have control? Because we can't help right now. We, you know, I cannot help right now. So what do I do? And what you, what you guys wrote was that a lot of doctors are talking about like their end of life, like their wills. And like, this is a form of how to gain control because we feel everyone right now feels so helpless, right? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone, like anxiety comes from the unknown and there's so much unknown. Like I can't answer that question for anybody. When does this end? When will we be afraid, not afraid of people getting sick? When will people stop dying? I don't know, nobody has those answers. And we sort of have to just say, we all don't know and have this like universal understanding that that's what's going on. And doctors especially, but I think a lot of people too, because you see this with people at home, like making masks and trying to get food to healthcare workers and trying to just like, I've seen some people really nicely on Twitter, like ask people for their Venmo and start sending money to people who need like $5 or $10 just to get through the day. And like these sort of like little acts of 
altruism, like feel Mm -hmm. really good and feel like you're doing something because you do feel like what you're doing is removing yourself from the situation to help. And that feels weird. It's intangible. And I think that like intangible feeling is also why it's hard to convince like a 20 year old that they're saving the world by watching Netflix. Like the science, like the scientific Mm -hmm. stuff is really hard to communicate. So it's like, by having this like thing that you're doing that you know you're helping like it just does feel good as like doctors we do have more access to help and we might be asked to help in ways we weren't expecting to help even if we are like gi doctors or psychiatrists um because we're there's a bigger need for us to do different things right now and that maybe is a little bit unexpected um but i think like just kind of in general like this oh i gotta do something help me like ooh, i can get control by doing something or giving back just some way makes you feel like you did something more than watching netflix i think so along those lines of uh empowering people which is you know you're it's spot on i'm getting uh a lot of emails from people not in medicine who are very appreciative of what doctors are doing and they're all asking how they can help. It's actually the one of the few real silver linings in this is seeing that. And I really love it. Um, in regards to physician wellness in particular, um, because it's, it's a stressful time for all of us, even those are not the front lines. I mean, my wife is on the front lines and uh, I'm being redeployed to the front lines. So it is, it is stressful. I mean, what, um, what advice do you have for doctors in particular or medical personnel? Yeah. I mean, even that word redeployed like makes me a little anxious because it has such a heavy like connotation and like a military undertone that I don't know that everybody really like associated with medicine to begin with when they went into it. So emotionally it just does have a lot and that's going to have a lot that goes with it. Um, I mean, I think, Doctors sometimes have the words and sometimes have the tools, but often don't use them would be my way of thinking about doctors. So either we are really, really focused on the altruism part, the helping people part, the putting others before ourselves part. And we tend to go, if I feel it's either weak to feel, not okay to feel, interrupting my work to feel, not what I'm supposed to do to feel. And so we kind of like choke it down and we just do our jobs. That goes for psychiatrists too. Like I hear a lot of really bad stuff and I just kind of go, the world's not a great place. And I go see another person, you know, like I'm not necessarily seeing people actively die in front of me, but the stuff that I know that people have been through is not uplifting. So we, we see and hear a lot of stuff, but we just kind of go, Oh, this is our job. Oh, this is what we do. But we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot of stuff on like this high, high frequency, like high pain, high intensity, high volume, lots of things we weren't expecting having to make decisions we weren't expecting to do, like rationing care. Um, And I think we have to say, like, that's not normal. We need to be able to say, like, feelings are okay. We are not weak for having them. We should get help if we need it. We certainly should not end our help if we're already getting help. We need to think about what coping skills we like to do and what coping skills we could develop. So sometimes people already know, like, these are the things I like to do. And these are the things that make me feel good. I just have no time for that because I don't prioritize myself because I'm a doctor and I go home and I have kids or I have a wife or I have a partner or something, whatever you have. And you're, you're just, or you're by yourself like me and you just have a lot of stuff to do. And you'd rather like not think about everything, you know, and like think about yourself in the ways that are really self care. But we have to do that 
and it has to be active and it can't be just sort of like, oh, I'll get to that. It has to even be like planned. So that can be something like mindfulness, which I think can feel woo-woo to some doctors, but it's actually like helpful to just sort of take you out of all of the anxiety in your head and all of the things you're thinking about in your head and bring you more into the present. That's the point of it. We can do things like Headspace is free for doctors right now, which is nice. Um, you can do things like just breathe, which is nice. You could do things like journal, which helps to do just like set a timer and not do indefinitely. All the literature would say, do it for like 20 minutes and stop. That's helpful. Take a shower, go work out, watch some stupid <laughs> TV, watch a, like read a, tell, like read, like read, like do anything that's not COVID, socialize not COVID, like Put that aside for a second and right. do something else. That's great advice. Um, you know, you're talking about millennials, like be, or not millennials, like young people <laughs> trying to contribute just by staying home, you know, empowering people. I think what you're saying with meditation and exercise and reading, you know, figure out your activities and maybe a routine I've been reading is like a good thing. And showering is something I think we're all forgetting to do. Um, but then the one thing I, I wanted to it. ask you about I your... <laughs> I shower. It's really easy to do because you're like, well, it's just one day, right? It's just one well, day. Well, I also have a theory that it, there is there is something protective about not showering and putting on deodorant because if, if people can smell you, they're too close. So at this point, it's actually not a bad thing. I'm not saying I do it. I'm just saying I'm explaining Lizzie is what's happening. It, first of all, I don't like showering and this gives me a great excuse. Anyway, so along the lines of empowering people, creating a routine, what would you recommend our listeners and the world about like social media? Because you're talking about this high intensity kind of, um, you know, thought process and kind of taking over your thoughts about COVID and social media and the TV right now is um, completely inundated with this. Yeah. So I would say I've approached social media on two levels. So one, as a person who actively uses it, I've noticed I have like tripled my usage of it and it was feeling <laughs> very intense for me, like super informative, super connected, super important, but almost like I can't sleep if I don't read this. I need to do this. If I don't, my friends will actually die. Like that level of anxiety of like needing to be on yeah. social media is a little too heavy. And like, you should sleep. That's important. So mm -hmm. as a user, that was what was going through my mind. As a psychiatrist, like social media has a very complex role, right? So on the one hand, most literature, especially as a college mental health provider, where people curate their life and make people like think their life is perfect, but it's not. Like we deal with social media in this way that's like, it's not great for you. Like you need to interact with humans and you need to know that your friends are kind of putting on a front and they're actually sad. They're just not talking about it, right? So often social media is not super great in my population, but it's awesome right now for them because without it, what are they doing? There are no people. So like if we didn't have a video, like if we didn't have like ways to connect with people, like we would be emailing or texting and I do not feel connected when I say sup or something on a text with someone. <laughs> I maybe do if like day to day, like I saw 50 people and my job is literally talking and listening to people. And sometimes I don't want to talk and listen to people anymore. Um, and a text message feels like at least I connected to my friend. Right now it doesn't. So you need to be actively saying like, actually that's not good enough. Like I have friends that I've been friends with for like 15 years and we just did a video chat and we go, why have we never done this? Right. And it was right. just like, because 
why would we? Like, we didn't have to. There was really no reason to. There weren't video chats when we were friends before. We managed just fine. So it's yeah. just very interesting. You just have to actively put this stuff in your life. But I think it's really helping with connection for social media. But you do need to say, like, on that part that's like, I need to do it, I need to do it. You need to say, like, I have to put time limits. I have to take a break if I'm feeling like that. And you really have to, like, what a psychiatrist would say, like, if you're feeling something, ask yourself why, you know, like, right. if you're feeling super anxious, and you're not going to sleep because of social media, why is that? Can you fix that? Can you stop that? Try right. to understand that. Right. Well, what I'm hearing is that there's two parts to it, right? There's a connection and a positive aspect. And then from my friends who are involved in like the search planning, which is a 12 hour a day job, maybe 14 to 16 hours a day, sometimes um, stopping the social media when it relates to COVID, when it relates to your work and your anxiety, switch it, you know, to the fun social aspect, like what you're talking about, meditation and reading and journaling and the other stuff that's just not COVID. There's COVID social media and then there's not COVID social media. So maybe we should emphasize the latter, right? Yeah. I mean, there's COVID friends and there's COVID no, like not COVID friends too, right? Which is like, you have, we're, we grew up, like we went to a lot of school and a lot of training where our friend group is all in healthcare. And that's right. hard. All of them are doing the same things and all of them are experiencing the same stress, like experiencing yeah. the same stressors. So we might have found them comforting before, but they're also really struggling. So it doesn't mean not we shouldn't talk to them. We should, but it actually becomes more of like a group therapy session than it does like actually feel super nice to have conversations with all of the people in healthcare right now. So either I've noticed that sometimes like doing something else with those people feels a little nicer. So I've been actually doing like Sunday night movie night on like doing shared movies with people over zoom that way. And it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, we're still friends. Oh, we can still laugh. Oh, we can still be friends and like enjoy something, but we're not talking about how stressed we are and how hard work is. We still do that when we need to, and we're still there for each other when we need to, but it's not just that. Right. So talking about social media, I, I'm very ambivalent about it myself. Um, we had a Twitter account for like two to three years, but we never really used it for the show until like the last year or two. Um, and I have to tell you, uh, you know, my phone tells me my screen time now, and that just mm -hmm. seems cruel to do that to me because it is painful to see how much time I'm spending on it. At the same time, though, I have learned that Twitter is an incredible resource. I, I can tell you distinctly that the, the doctors... I knew that were on Twitter and active on Twitter had a much higher suspicion that this was going to happen. We're much more concerned about the effects of COVID and all the downstream effects and the, than the ones who were not. And that's because we were seeing information from people in Italy and Iran and other countries. We were seeing studies that other doctors on med Twitter were posting. So I have to tell you, even though uh, I, I do have to, to engage in some of those activities you talked about, like doing other things online other than COVID. Um, I recognize it as an incredibly important tool. Um, but something we were talking about before that I want to get back to is sort of in regards to how we're going to deal with the ramifications downstream of this, particularly, you know, we were talking about moral injury and physician burnout way before this even happened. That was like something we were um, already concerned with in this country. And now after this, we're going to have to deal with a lot of ICU, ER doctors and other doctors who uh, aren't in those fields like, like us who are being redeployed or you just have to deal with sort of the, the other ripples that come from this. 
how are we going to do that? I mean, I feel like we're going to need more than just the, the mindfulness and meditation, which I think are great, but how, what can we do? We need more than mindfulness and meditation now too. I mean, I think we need like hospital systems to think about this now and like the country to invest and think about this now because it's going to be a problem just not like not just for healthcare workers, but for the country. If you say that 50% number is accurate, which is underreported, I'm sure that's a lot of people. So we need to be prepared and we need to think about it. In hospital systems, a lot of places right now are thinking about things like, should we have an, a hotline for healthcare workers and frontline workers to be able to get on the spot, like conversations with people to decompress if they need to. I've been like expanding access to appointments and having more appointments and doing some like Zoom, like Zoom kind of drop-in group therapy stuff. And I think that all of that is like probably stuff that should have been in existence for a long time for providers and just like, never was, but it's like mm -hmm. an impetus to start thinking about it more. You know, our like accrediting board said, uh, we need to think about burnout and we need to think about physician suicide. Mm -hmm. And people said, cool, um, like let's have a lecture on it, you know? And people said, you can't lecture me on burnout. That burns me out. I need to sleep, you know? So we <laughs> never really conceptualized this correctly. And I think because it required huge systemic change and huge systemic change takes culture change, takes time, takes right. buy-in. But you know what gives you buy-in? A global pandemic. So mm -hmm. if we're going to use it for something, I think we should say this is a thing and we need to invest in it and we need to invest in it now. And I think for our providers, you're going to see PTSD, you're going to see depression, you're going to see anxiety, anxiety, you're going to see it for years, not just tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so we definitely don't have the workforce to like deal with that at all. Child and adolescent psychiatry in this country or even like therapy in this country has never had enough providers. So think about the kids that are like not in school and at home with stressed out parents. Like there's a lot of stuff that's going to go on with kids right now that like yeah. we don't have the right stuff to support. We don't have the right, we don't even have enough adult providers. And there are lots of places in the country that have like one or two or three. So we really have to think about access. We have to think about increasing people who can go into it and get licensed. We have to increase spots. I don't know, but we really have to think about that because we definitely don't have enough people. No, I mean, healthcare in America has been struggling. This is really going to tax it. And I think we're going to see the effects really in three or four months when all the patients start coming back. And we're going to see the PTSD, like you're talking about, alcoholic liver disease, because people are just home drinking, maybe divorces, because you're sitting at home with this person who you realize you hate, maybe. <laughs> you know, the education... Um, the, the lack of socialization and education for these kids. It's really, you know, and then you talk about doctor burnout and doctors have been burned out. This is just going to worsen the system. And now we're seeing how the hospital infrastructure can't handle this, you know? So it's, there's just really untold. There's just so many effects that we're going to see. And it's really going to hopefully revamp and restructure things in a way that's better. I mean, we do need this disruption, right? We do clearly to tax ourselves to see where the huge holes are. And yeah, we see I mean, that they're everywhere. As a mental health provider, it's not the worst thing for you to tell me that now every provider is going to have in their mind, should I screen that person? Should I think about mental health in that person more? That person's a physician. I'm going to make sure I ask them about this, even though they don't want to talk about this because they're going to try to get away with not answering any of these questions because they know exactly what I'm going to ask them and they're going to mm -hmm. blow it off. Like, Going through that actively and having that in our minds is going to be really important as primary care doctors, as GI docs, or ever it comes to like really actively getting people to try to talk about like 
how this is affecting them or if they need to talk to mental health is going to be important. And if that's going to be something like to prioritize it, that's fine. We need money too. So if this is going to make the government care about it and has always sort of been not a priority, again, I mean, it's not a great circumstance for it to be the reason. And I would hate for this to be the reason, but money is nice and we need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, oh, that's a, I, I think um, both the social and economic contracts that we fill with our hospitals, our medical staff, our doctors, I think it all needs to be sort of reevaluated. Everything needs to be sort of reevaluated after this. But I guess one crisis at a time. Um, so Dr. Gold, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I know you're very busy right now. <laughs> I know you're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of people are asking to hear your opinion on things and that's because you have a great insight into this and we really appreciate you spending the time with us. Um, I'll also take the opportunity to thank all the, uh, doctors, uh, that are out there on the front line and all the doctors that are in, uh, that are helping protect those doctors by doing as much as they can through telemedicine, uh, like family practice doctors and uh, internal medicine doctors out in the community. I want to thank all the non-essential, or sorry, all the essential uh, staff <laughs> and people that, oh, let's, let's thank everyone, uh, them too. So but I definitely want to thank all the people who are doing essential work that aren't getting quite the same credit, cleaning crews, garbage men, mailman, people at grocery stores, people delivering our Amazon, UPS guys, all these guys. So we really appreciate it. And of course, thanks to Nadim for helping us with production. Uh, Dr. Gold, where can people find you? Yeah, so the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at Dr. Jesse Gold, Jesse spelled J-E-S-S-I. I'd echo your thanks for everything that everybody's doing. I'm very grateful to be a healthcare provider, very proud that these people are my friends and colleagues, and this is definitely a time when I've felt that more than anything. Thank thanks you so much. much for your time. That's- I keep going because she sees something outside. What does she see? So you know. Winnie! It shouldn't be a person walking out there. Get them away. <laughs> All right. No problem. Um, so- naughty. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 